0: The scripture reading for today is John 14, 15 through 21. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned, I am coming to you, in a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Hey friends. Welcome. Uh, I am, I what a week, huh? Uh, I have had all the emotions this week. I've been scared. I've been angry. I've been uh, trying to make everything right, trying to right all the wrongs, trying to fight for justice. I've wanted to crawl in a hole at times and just take a nap for about a year. One of my friends said, you know, I kind of just feel like going on a deserted island for six months. (laughs) Um, But welcome, here we are. Uh, And I wanted to start the sermon by reading uh, a kind of poem or essay from my friend Caitlin Curtis. She's an author. She's a Native, Native American author. And she wrote, Uh, this piece, it's called At the End of a Long Week, and I thought that it was very appropriate. I was in a meeting uh, this week online with some other pastors, and one of the pastors started with this um, piece, and it just blessed me. And I hope it blesses you too. And then we'll dive into the text. So receive this from Caitlin Curtis. All I can say at the end of a long week is that I hope your will was done. I hope good came from bad holy from evil, life from brokenness. I hope somewhere that someone felt the sunlight sink deep into their bones, that those same rays of sun bolted back out of them and bless their every neighbor. I hope that when kingdom came this week, someone was paying attention, someone engaged with their humanity and your perfection. It's the end of a long week, and I hope that we're learning to rest better by now. I hope our deep breaths are deeper, and our hunched shoulders are lowered, and our voices are less strained. I hope we fill the spaces of the coming weekend with that kind of Sabbath rest that only Kingdom can teach us. All I can say at the end of a long week is, Kingdom, come. I hope that even where I feel empty, I am full. I hope that where I feel full, I will be emptied back out. And I hope all things will be leveled and brought to a good kind of justice. Because at the end of a long week, the world is both terribly frightening and breathtakingly beautiful. At the end of a long week, I hope that our daily bread was given. That our debts were shackled off of us. And that our hearts of stone were broken to meet the work of forgiveness. At the end of a long week, I hope that we stepped out of our realm and into yours and realize that they aren't so far apart after all. So at the end of a long week, I keep praying to the king of tenderness, God to unfold me, God to surround me, God in my speaking, God in my thinking, God in my sleeping, God in my waking, God in my watching, God in my hoping, God in my life, God in my lips, God in my soul, God in my heart, God in my sufficing, God in my slumber, God in mine ever living, God in mine eternity. That's from an ancient Celtic prayer, that last part, called the Carmina Gedelica. So I hope that blesses you. I'll put the link where you can read that and get that in the Facebook comments uh, as we're doing the watch party right now. Uh, I'm doing that with you. It'll be weird to watch me preach. (laughs) Oh, you guys. Okay, let's get into this text. So it's John 14, and the setting is, this is the Last Supper. Um, Jesus has, he's with his disciples, and they're celebrating Passover. And he has just washed their feet, a tremendously uh, vulnerable and beautiful thing to do. Uh, I was just—I just did a wedding, um, a social distancing wedding. Some this Genesis couple, and they washed each other's feet, and there was just there was about ten of us in the room, uh, and it was a beautiful thing to watch. It's—it's fascinating to um, watch that tenderness happen when you're handling, you know, someone's feet with that kind of love and care. You're washing them. You're. Um, you're maybe giving their feet a little massage. It's very, it's, and it's like, maybe you're even thinking like, I, I don't even know if I'd want to have my feet washed. That feels a little too vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, maybe, right? Anyway, so Jesus is with them in this moment. And it's a somber moment, um, what we get here. It's it's a somber moment because um, Jesus is trying to explain to them, that he's going to be leaving them soon, and he's trying to pastor them. And it's really, really fascinating because in chapter 13 and then chapter 14 uh, of, of John, the, the disciples are asking Jesus all kinds of questions. And like Peter asks, um, Lord, where are you going? Because Jesus is being as straight as he can be. But he's also trying to prepare them that he's going to be leaving them soon. He's going to be dying and he's going to be returning to his father. And all this stuff is very confusing. Uh, When we read it, we can't help but reading it because we know the ending. But they didn't know the ending. And you got to remember that. And they were very confused. All they knew... That is that Jesus, their friend and rabbi and leader and teacher, and the king that they thought was going to be occupying the actual throne of Israel is now saying no i'm, I'm going to be going away from you, and I want you to I want to prepare you for that so that 's what Jesus is trying to doing trying to do Thomas asks, Lord, if we don 't know where you 're going, how will we know the way to follow you because Jesus is being somewhat confused. You know, where I go, you can follow. Where I go, you can't follow. If you read John 13 and 14, you're going to be struck by the anxiety that the disciples are feeling, and also the, the tremendous compassion that Jesus is pouring out on them. He's tremendously pastoral in the moments before he's crucified. And he's, again, he's celebrating Passover with his disciples. He's calling them his friends. He's saying he's preparing them for him to leave them. And he's reassuring them. He's comforting them. He's saying things to them like, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And he says, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than the ones that I did. And I think we forget that moment where Jesus tells his disciples and I think us, we're eavesdropping in on this conversation because we can read about it 2000 years later where Jesus says, yeah, I've done some pretty great works and you will do even greater works than the ones that I did. I mean, that's, we could sit there forever, right? So like, I know this isn't live, but let that be a sort of an all play question where people can type away the answers. Like, what do you think about that? What kinds of greater works could we be doing and could those disciples be doing uh, that were greater than the works that Jesus did? Like, what do you think he meant when he said that? I think it's just, I think that's worth sitting with and pondering and turning over and over again in our minds that followers of Jesus down through the ages Um, have done and will do greater works than the ones that Jesus did. What does that mean? I love the inclusivity of that too, is that Jesus doesn't have to say that, you know, he's the greatest and there are things that only he can do even, right? He's sharing the power. He's sharing the influence. He's also inviting them to share his mission. The works that I've been doing, the things that I've been working so hard on, the eyes that I've opened, the wounds that I've healed, the people that are dead that I've brought back to life, Um, this is all part of my kingdom coming, the kingdom of God in which all things are made new, in which all things are restored, through which justice is done. And the high places are brought down, and the low places are brought up, and this road opens up for equality and love, and peace and grace. And Jesus is saying, you get to be a part of that, right? Oh, my gosh. So, um, and then, so I just want to notice, like, in this moment, we find the disciples in high anxiety, high alert, they're troubled. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Um And I think it's a moment where our community can enter into the story. This has been a week of high anxiety because of what happened during last week's worship service. This is a week where your nerves were already frayed and a little shattered because of the stay-at-home order for two months and the coronavirus and the wilderness that we're all in because we don't know how that's all going to end. So we're already uh, feeling right at the edge, and then this traumatic event happens, really uh this terrorist attack happens to our little church in the place that we feel most safe and most vulnerable and it opens our eyes to things that are happening around the world that we knew of but didn't um want to know of really and were disturbed and so our levels of anxiety were heightened and i want to invite us to enter into this story as one of the disciples and listen to how Jesus handles that listen to the loving and caring way that Jesus is going to tell us how he's going to continue to care for us even while he's absent because i think there's something for us as a community in these words if we pay attention so the first the first thing that i want to notice and uh call out from the text is Jesus says if you love me you'll keep my commandments okay if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And again, not live, but would love to hear people's responses in the, in the comments here on the watch party. Like, how does that sound to you? If you love me, keep my commandments. Like, what does that make you think of? Like, what is he talking about? Um, yes, what kind of commandments is he talking about? But like, that's a weird quid pro quo kind of like, if you love me, you're gonna follow my commandments. Is he Is he saying that, you have to follow his commandments in order to prove that you love him? Is he saying that if you love me, you just automatically will follow my commandments like what do you think that's about? and as I was looking at it this week, there's a part of it that really for me <laughs> kind of sounded a little like it sounded a little rulesy, you know like like if you love me, you know follow me or you know, but but if you love me, keep my commandments right um for me it 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 made me go. Okay, what? Because it 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 all of a sudden the the gracious, compassionate. Don't be don't let don't let, your, let your hearts be troubled. Um, believe in me, and I'll take care of you, and I'll prepare a place for you. You know, again. Um, so I had to sit with that for a little while. Like, what does that mean, right? And so what I do, and what I love to do, and it's totally nerdy, but it's part of who we are as a community too. Is as is, is we look up the Greek words, right? We looked at the Hebrew words and what do they mean? Because that sometimes unlocks a new way of understanding the passage. And so to keep, it's a Greek word called tereo, tereo, and it means to attend to carefully or to take care of, to attend to. So attend to his commandments, right? First of all, you got to ask, well, okay, let's get, Let's dial into what his commandments really were. And actually, so this is John 14, this this portion that we're looking at today. Right in John 13, he answers the question. So John thirteen, verses thirty-four and thirty-five, Jesus says, This I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So that's the commandments. The commandment that Jesus is talking about, I want you to keep that. I want you to, to attend to that carefully. I want you to take care of that commandment. Now, um, of course, Jesus was not a Christian. <laughs> you, you know that, right? you, <laughs> was like, boom! Um Jesus was Jewish, and he loved his Jewish tradition, and he loved being a part of it. He he participated in the synagogue, he kept the Sabbath, and in his tradition, within the religious tradition that Jesus kept, uh, same word, keep, tereo, that he attended to carefully, there was 613 commandments, or mitzvot, they were called in, in uh, Hebrew, and um, so 613, right? That's a lot of commandments. That is a ton of commandments that you have to keep. And they covered everything from cooking food to uh, what is permissible to do on the Sabbath and what isn't, even to how to weave clothes. I mean, it was very intense. And for example, if you were a priest, you were forbidden to enter into a cemetery. You couldn't even go to your parents' funeral if you were a priest. That was how intense it was. And so Jesus is saying, Oh my gosh, I love this. If you love me, You will keep my commandments, right? Now, it's a pretty radical thing in a religious tradition that says there are 613 mitzvot, commandments, to say, uh, yeah, I'm going to issue a new one. And I'm not going to invite you to keep the 613 mitzvot. I'm not going to invite you to attend to the 613. I'm going to invite you to, to attend to the one. And that's a pretty radical thing to say. You can can realize why Jesus actually ended up getting executed. He was such a threat to the state. Um, It's a pretty radical thing to claim that you have commandments, my commandments, my mitzvot, but Jesus is doing this. So again, the commandments of Jesus, you can expand it, of course, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, really, same thing as Jesus is saying in, in John 13, 34 and 35, I give you a new commandment, a new mitzvot, but he wasn't saying, oh, this is so great. He wasn't saying, I'm going to add a 614th. He was basically saying, I am I am subverting the 613, or I'm saying they are somehow contained in this one. And if you do this one, you're doing all the other 613. It's crazy what he was doing here. So this idea to love one another, right? So on one way, you know, that can maybe make your shoulders uh, sag, not sag, um, drop a little bit. That can sound soothing. But if you really pay attention to it, right? Love one another. Go for it. Raise your hand if you're killing it at that, right? Raise your hand if you would give yourself an A in loving one another. I wouldn't right? Simple, but not easy. They'll know we're Christians, Jesus says, by our love for one another. So what does it mean to love one another? How do I know that I'm doing that? And when you start to go down that road, like you start saying, like, I actually wish that some of the commandments were a little more straightforward, like don't burp at the table (laughs) during, during a meal. Like I, then I can know if I'm, I can know if I'm getting an A in that or not, but Knowing that I actually am loving one another, I mean, how would I do that, right? It actually seems impossible. And I think it is. Love one another. And we kind of throw that around, like, all you got to do is love, man. Like, <laughs> all of a sudden I began to hit you right there. <laughs> but I think sometimes we underestimate what it takes when we say it's all about love, as if that's like, that's like making things easier. I think that's making things monumentally harder. Love one another because who's one another? You know, love one another, love each other, love the one that's unlovable, love the one that you that bugs you, love the one that you don't even like, love, the, you know, <laughs> Love the one that you live with. Love, I mean, love one another. So it's really fascinating that the very next verse, and these are very connected. Jesus says in John 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the advocate. Verse 17, this is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him, the spirit. You could also say her, nor knows him or her. You know him, the spirit, or her, because she abides with you, and he will be with you, and he will be in you, John 14, 16, and 17. And I want to say, like, all of a sudden, maybe some of us say, like, oh, the world cannot receive him, and then that sounds exclusive. When you read the world there, read the world system, Because the world system is all about quid pro quo. It's all about making sure the top stays on top and the bottom stays on the bottom. It's making sure that people get oppressed and that certain people win, winners and losers. And that system, that system that does that cannot understand the spirit because the spirit is about something different. So this verse is not saying that like, no one can understand the spirit uh, or like those bad people can't. It's that the system of the world that's controlling the world in a win-lose, quid pro quo, you're good, you're bad, you're in, you're out way, cannot understand the spirit because the spirit doesn't, doesn't speak that kind of language. Okay. So who's the spirit? Well, uh, the word for advocate there, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate. The word there is uh, parakletos, parakletas, And... It it means someone who is summoned or called to stand on your side to help you. This is the spirit of truth. Someone who is summoned or called to stand on your side to help you. Someone who pleads your case before a judge. Someone who guides you to understand what you currently can't or don't understand. Jesus gives us this commandment, love one another, even when it's hard. And we say, how can we possibly do that? And Jesus' answer is, I will ask the Father to send you the Spirit who will guide you into all truth, who will stand on your side and help you when you can't, who will plead your case before a judge when you fall short. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Someone who guides you to understand what you currently can't or don't understand. This last week, um, again, I just went through all the feelings, like I'm sure you did too. And um, in the middle of the night I woke up and I thought to myself, um, the only way that I'm going to get through this next day is if God is with me. Um, and I, I don't know how that sounds. I was about to say, I know that sounds like a cliche. Maybe it doesn't, but you got to know, even though I'm a pastor, I don't typically wake up in the middle of the night with that kind of desperate thought, you know, um, um, And so that kind, love one another, love one another even in this, even in a situation like this where you're filled with anger at um, what happened to us. Um, And I believe that the Spirit, I do, um, was speaking to me in that moment. The only way you're going to make it is if God comes to help you and the spirit has a, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, in that moment, I think claims I have arrived to be on your side. I've arrived to help you. I've arrived to plead your case before a judge. I've arrived to guide you to understand what you currently can't understand. In the follow-up call that we did on Wednesday night, with um, I don't know, there was about maybe forty of us or so there, and we were processing what we experienced and. My wife Mary said that one of the ways that she's been moving through when the image kind of would come up in her mind is she imagines uh, her and Jesus coming in and rescuing that little girl, taking them out and taking her out of there, bringing her little teddy bear and, and taking her out of there. And this is what the Spirit does. This is what the Advocate does—to stand on your side, to help you, to plead your case before a judge, to guide you to understand what you can't understand. It's pretty beautiful. Um, at another moment this week, and I know that maybe I don't know how this sounds. Maybe it sounds like magical thinking. I just decided that I wanted to share it with you. But another night, I woke up with a kind of a weird pain in my hip socket, you know, and I don't—I don't have hip pain. And it's just, you know, but, but it like, it would be sharp. It kind of woke me up. And in that moment, again, I feel a little even embarrassed sharing this with you, but I want to, because I feel like it might be the, one of the ways that God was meeting me. And maybe you have similar stories about ways in which God met you. And if you do, and if you want to share them in the comments right now, go for it. I mean, that would be beautiful. But in that moment, pain in my hip the the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel, wrestling with the man uh, until he got a blessing. And then at one point, the man, God, the angel, whoever it is, touches the hip socket of Jacob and he walks away with a limp. But not before the the man, the angel, God, whoever it is, blesses Jacob and renames him. And in that moment where I had this weird hip pain, I felt like the Spirit of God whispered to me that just like God was with Jacob as he wrestled with him all night, God is with us as well and is with me as well. You know, um, what is that? Is that the Spirit whispering help? I think I'd rather not get into a big debate with myself. Is that just me? Is that the Spirit? If it, if it sounds like powerful help coming to you when you really, really need it in a surprising way, then I'm going to say that's probably the Spirit. If it feels like powerful help coming to you in a surprising way, then I'm going to say that's probably the Spirit. John 14, 25 and 26, um, I've said these things to you while I am still with you, Jesus says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of all that I have said to you. So the one who is summoned to come to you and stand on your side to help you will remind you. Of what Jesus has taught you and will continue to teach you. I mean, that's pretty amazing, right? In the moment that you need it, like those moments I just shared with you, I think what the Spirit does is come to teach you new things, but also to expand your mind into things that you couldn't previously understand before, but now that you can. When you're ready, the Spirit comes and teaches you a new thing. And that's just gorgeous. And I think, you know, in a few minutes, we'll do 60 seconds of silence. And um, in that way, we will come together and listen to the Spirit of Truth to see if the Spirit might say something to us and might guide us into a new truth. It might set us free in a new way. That's why we do the sixty seconds of silence. And but also, it's not confined to that sixty seconds of silence. Maybe you'll find yourself this week in a moment where you're unsure of what to do. Um, so I, I want to invite you in those moments to pause. And then breathe that breath prayer, Holy Spirit come, Holy Spirit come. Now this isn't magical thinking and you might not hear anything or sense anything, but the posture of stopping and inviting the one who has been summoned to stand on your side to help you, that's formative. It's a really formative thing. And I think it's really, really helpful. The last verse that Jesus talks about is in John 14, 18. Jesus says this, and, and he, he goes even further. Not only will I send a helper, not only will I send someone to the Father, will send someone to stand by your side and plead your case. John 14, 18, I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. So there will be a time that Jesus returns. And this is the paschal mystery that we say right for the Eucharist every week Christ has died, Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And that's the mystery of faith. That's the mystery of faith. That we will not be left as orphans. That Jesus will come again and collect us to be with him. And I like what Jesus is insinuating there, because even with the Spirit, even with each other, we can all sometimes feel orphaned. Like we're all alone. You know? Like we're abandoned. Um, And one of the last things that he wants his disciples to know is that where he's going, he's going to return, and then he's going to take us to be with him forever. And I think that's a, um, well, I hope that's a comforting thought because it names the reality of the hardness of this world. But it paints a picture of a future hope in which Jesus, the Christ, will come again and finally and um, in a way that is absolutely uh, final, he will make all things new And that is the kingdom that Jesus is coming. Amen the age. Endings are a place where life is re-